Welcome to I Change the Narrative, a podcast for and about Black men, inspiring, supporting, and empowering Black men and Black boys. Before we start the conversation, I want to ask our guests to briefly tell us about yourself and the work that you're involved in that lends itself to this topic or the lived experience. Welcome, gentlemen. Lamont, you can go first. Thank you. Uh, I was wondering, I was like, oh, mine, my picture is the closest. Uh, uh, my name is Lamont Harrell, I'm based in Washington, D.C. Um, I am the founder and CEO of the Black Game Makers Association, uh, and we uh, focus on uh, creating a platform for uh, Black game designers to showcase their, their work. Uh, we try and create the space so that we can bring in as many uh, consumers and let them know about the, the things that they do. Um, and I've also been a um, political consultant for the past 15 years. Um, and I've been a black man all my life. Thank you, Terrell. Hey, good to see everybody. Uh, my name is Terrell Williams, uh, currently in the city of Pittsburgh. Though you see the Compton hat, no, I'm not from Compton. I just wear anything with any neighborhood that's uh, historically known as, an, as a black neighborhood. You might see me wearing something from someone from Newark or Harlem. That's just what I do. Uh, currently, I work for the county, uh, Allegheny County in Pittsburgh. Child, Youth, and Family Services. Um, I'm an education liaison. My job is pretty much to make sure any child in the foster care system is being treated fairly when they go to school uh, from the age of 14 all the way to 24, meaning I'm the person in charge of pushing this young woman, man, uh, toward going to college. That's the ultimate goal. Um, aside from that, I also have a little bit of knowledge of theology. I'm, I'm a theologian for fun. Um, <laughs> Pretty much, primarily, my job is to hold people accountable in that places when I have to. Awesome, thank you, Vernon. Yes, good morning. At least it's good morning here on the West Coast. My name is Vernon Yancey. Um, born and raised Los Angeles, California, so I respect the Compton hat. Howard University graduate, class of twenty sixteen, mechanical engineering major. Hu, shout out. Um, yeah. Oh, you already know. There we go. Um, I'm also the founder and CEO of So Organic, So Suave. We go by the acronym SAUCE, and we produce, manufacture, and deliver um, self-care essentials crafted specifically for us. Natural, organic, and pure ingredients focusing on beard care, hair care, and skin care. And now we're really branching into the entire uh, lifestyle a gambit. Anything that we can do or we can use to help make ourselves feel better and love ourselves more and feel more empowered, that's what um, we're going to put out. That's what we're owning um, owning within our ecosystem. So that's yeah. me. Thank you for this opportunity. It's an amazing topic. I'm excited to share this space and energy with uh, you all. Thank you so much, Tyler. Yeah, so my name is Tyler Archie, and uh, I am a Howard grad as well, HU18. And uh, before getting out to Howard, you know, I'm born and raised in a city called Fresno out here in California, Los Angeles based now, but um, I'm from a place called Fresno and that place is known as the Mississippi of the West. So um, that's where a little bit of my experience and uh, life story will come from in this conversation, being in a West Coast, Mississippi, then going to an HBCU. Awesome. So glad to have you all on the show and we thank you for being invested in the cause. Today's topic is dispelling the myths. Things I wish white people knew. Let me preface this first by saying we are not. I do not expect you all. We are not expecting um, to seek validation from 
the others, okay? This is a conversation um, that is important to us, important to me, um, because I feel that black men are misunderstood. So it's time to bring some kind of understanding and correction to some of the myths that um, you all have been haunted and haunted with or myths that provide, that give you guys pain as black men. So we're gonna start off the conversation with, um, I guess Lamont, you can go first. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever wants to take it, you guys can take it. Um, again, this is just a conversation. Feel free to jump in there and um, you guys take it away. Thank you. Wow. Uh, well, thank you. And uh, like Vernon said, thank you so much for uh, uh, inviting us here so that we can have uh, this this important type of discussion. Mm -hmm. um, like first, there are so many things. Uh, when you brought the idea uh, uh, I was like, what do I lead with? You know, because there's there's so there's so many, uh, and I often find myself having these conversations. Uh, my oldest son is 16, and he goes to a boarding school uh, in uh, New Hampshire, uh, and he is essentially in in the minority there. Um, and this is this is new coming from somebody. I don't want to say new, but new recent in terms of being a Howard graduate and knowing that experience um, of being around black intellectuals from all walks of life um, all around the world um, and having to have him uh, uh, tell me his experience and, and we're having those questions. So I've been wrestling with a lot, a lot of these topics um, uh, recently. And one of the ones that um, I think is, is important um, is the idea that it is okay to love somebody's culture, another group's culture, without owning it. Hmm. Um, you know, I think that there there is this strange history of acquiring uh, uh, other people's cultures, um, and I think that you know here in America um, we're we're supposed to be a melting pot. You know, where all these cultures are are, are represented. But it's usually in a way where uh, the people who come from that culture are usually looked down upon uh, when they're expressing it, um, or you know uh, they're they're held back in in life, uh, whether that's you know in in, in politics and business and education. Um, but when you know our white uh, counterparts embrace it, then you know not only is it cool and acceptable, but it also becomes you know they can they can monetize it. You know, and it, it's everything from from food to to music to um, you know anything. But uh, what what made made me think about it is I grew up I grew up in LA, and the part of LA that I grew up in, um, I went to school with a, 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 a high pop high population of uh, Latino students, uh, where I think my school was like forty percent black, sixty percent Latino. Um, so I grew up around a lot of people from Mexico, Guatemala. Um, so I grew up with Mexican food, Mexican music, um, and I can appreciate so much from Mexican culture and, and ride and be allies for my Mexican brothers and sisters, but I don't have to own it, you know, and I can recognize that. 
I'm a, I'm a black man, uh, I'm a black American, um, and I can own all of those things, but I don't have to own their, you know, their culture. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what that does is from my perspective, it allows me to, to see things that are different and be accepting of it um, without judging it just because I don't understand it off, off the break, mm -hmm. you know? I can do Taco Tuesdays and be happy. Right. I, I really, I really wish um, that white people un understood that part of it because growing up in Fresno, you know, I described Fresno as kind of a, a Mississippi of the West, but it's still got a, a pretty diverse culture breakdown. And, you know, growing up, I had plenty of Latino uh, friends, Mexican friends, people that, you know, came, came, you know, illegally that immigrated that didn't even have green cards. I had friends from other countries um, you know, from like South Korea. And it seemed like all my friends of color, they all understood, you know, what's, 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 what's understood doesn't have to be spoken. They knew, um, you know, we participate in, in these other cultures or we, we, we see bits and pieces of them, but we don't have to own it. We don't have to take it, dominate it or gentrify it. But mm -hmm. for some reason I could never make heads or tails of why my white counterparts, whenever they would participate in foreign culture, there was always a, a feeling that they were they were gentrifying it or that they were taking it, you know, for for some type of, of selfish gain, and um, I, I I could never I could never make heads or tails of that. So I can I completely um, you know agree with your first point. That's that's something strongly I wish they knew how to do is just participate within a culture without taking it, acquiring it, trying to monetize it. You know the way that black fashion and black hairstyles have been gentrified in the last couple of years have, have been, um, you know, really offensive that we've had a whole fight, uh, in the professional world in the last couple of years of trying to make locks, you know, uh, finally, uh, legally allowed to be protected while, you know, we have people facing scrutiny for wearing locks. We have white counterparts going in with similar styles being praised while we literally have black people losing their jobs just for going into work with the hair locked up. So I, I really wish they, they knew how to just participate in culture without having to come in and acquire it and dominate it and monetize it, just participate. Mm -hmm. You, you want to know the strangest thing? You just made me think about. Um, I don't know if you've ever lived this particular uh, instance. I've watched uh, white people come into my culture and utilize it when they're in the minority um, meaning high school, somewhere around ninth grade, they start listening to some Tupac, some Nas, and then we allow them to the barbecue. And then next thing you know, they're wearing their pants like me, they're wearing their hat like me, they're wearing everything like me, they're talking like me. We spend this time together ninth to 12th grade, and somewhere around senior year of college, it just turns off. And mm -hmm. then they start hanging with a whole different set of people. They go from yeah, I love black people. I'm with you. To now, it's well. You know what? Maybe affirmative action was really the the worst part about black culture. And you're like, well, where did this come from? Yeah, you know, like it's going to a, a situation where a lot of people, white people, have come into our culture, going to the barbecue, and then they forget about us, and they get their own barbecue, and they don't invite us. Yeah, and I deal with that. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed white people grow up in the projects. And go from being, yeah, I understand your 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 lifestyle. Yeah, I love your culture. To you know, hey, Trump, you know, Trump was saying some real stuff right there. You know what I mean? And it's like, what, what happened? Right. You were yeah. in the struggle with us, 
but not really. You know, you wanted to be a part of the struggle for fun. You wanted to be a yeah. part of the struggle for a hobby, but you right. didn't really want to be part of my culture. Yeah, but I was about to right there what you just said. I was going to raise a flag on when you said that you were in the struggle with us. I think that's the issue. They are never. They have never been in the struggle with us. They will never yeah. be in the struggle with us. No matter if we, no matter if we have the same um, annual income, no matter if we're in the same neighborhood, in the same project, in the same billion million dollar home, there are they are never. We're never going to be on the same level ever. So, and then just thinking about how America. I'm gonna focus on America. How America even came to fruition. How America even started. Right. Mm-hmm. They came here and they they stole the land, right? They 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 they, they came across the come across uh, came across the ocean, stole the land. They 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 robbed the Native Americans, indigenous people of their culture. Mm-hmm. Then they came to Africa. They went to the Caribbean, and then they stole us. And then they they they, they broke. They they took our culture away from us, forced us to adapt their culture, and forced us to spend how many years has it been? Over two hundred, well, way over two hundred, four hundred years. Right. Um, having to redefine ourselves and realign ourselves and find our and, and reattach ourselves to our culture that we they had worked so hard to break us away from. So just seeing their 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 their, their resume, right? Just looking at their resume, I can't I can't deny that. So it's like when this happens and they pretty much now Cinco de Mayo is not a, is not a celebration of Mexican independence. It's now a half off Margarita Day in America, mm-hmm. like. That doesn't surprise me. Like <laughs> it doesn't surprise me when I see when like the same um example you just spoke to, Tara, about um, you know, when they first get that taste of uh, Jay-Z, when they first when it when 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 someone first listens to that first Nipsey Hustle song and it's just like, oh, I like this. But then after further experiences, they realize like, oh, something else happens. And they're like, wait a second, they're not that's 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 I, I can enjoy it, I can I can taste it but that's not something that i want to actually like i want to just enjoy it for fun i don't want that's not a that's not i don't want to fully align myself to that and that's when they start to break off into another narrative i think one thing that i do i am very careful of myself is generalizing white people as well and using that broad term because i know a lot of caucasian european spanish jewish individuals that receive the culture and respect it and purposely like make make moves not to monetize off it but the larger population the greater population is definitely always looking for an advantageous um step advantageous gain whenever they come in contact with something that they see other people love so i think a question that i would have for the if i may ask a question sure go <laughs> right ahead the question i may ask and kind of like now you got me thinking to wrap what you said is like how much of our culture do we specifically looking at black people how much of our culture do we make available for white people to grab and take and how much of it do we lock up and do we keep just for us and cherish and honor just for us we we give it all free that's that's the problem is 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 black folk that's the way we've always been we give it for free we give the culture the art the essence of life we just give it for free because it's how we live and then when we try to monetize it we struggle to but if someone non-black wants to monetize our culture, you know, they usually do and they and they make a killing and we struggle at it because everything we do culture wise, we just do it to do and then people mm-hmm. take it from us. Mm-hmm. And it's I, like I I'm sorry, to build on that. If 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 I could, like we do do that, but I think one of the things that uh like if if I were to flip it and say what are some of the things that I wish that black people 
new uh, is that it's okay to be you. It's okay to be black. It's okay to have a name that is not traditional in the American sense, in the white sense, or even in you know a typical black sense. It's okay to be creative. It's okay for our hair to be a particular way. And I think that because we've always been, um, to I think Terrell's point, we've always been trying to live up to these norms of that, that weren't ours to begin with. Uh, we oftentimes put ourselves uh, in, in these in these holes where, you know, we don't respect and value what we create because we we look down on it ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up making fun of people's names just like everybody else, you know, and it took me to become an adult, a parent, a Howard grand business mm -hmm. owner to realize that has nothing to do with anything. Because I've met people from all over the world that, you know, they're not black and they're their names are, are just as far out there uh, as anything we would create. There's nothing wrong with the beauty of what, what we're able to create. I think the more that we own that, the less that, the less we would give away. But again, that goes back to the mindset of 400 years ago when they broke us down to want to adapt to them and want to be like them and want to idolize and shoot our goals to be like them. So when we express our creativity when passing down identities to our children and it doesn't fit the, it doesn't look similar to what we have seen be put forth by them, then it takes us a second to realize it and it takes us a second to embrace it and acknowledge that as our um, our individuality and what makes us unique and what makes us special. And I understand, so I completely agree with you on the on the naming front as just a, a aspect of the overall, you know, overall uh, issue. Is there, is there anything heavier than fighting 400 years of systematic generational programming though, in, in the span of like 60 years? We, we're in such a, a strange time to be in this country. You know, if you think about the timeline, there were, there were, there was hundreds of years where we were, we were, we were chained up as a people being programmed. And it's, it's not that long. We've really been free, free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that was rhetorical, but I I can't think of anything heavier. Right. It, 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 it was kind of rhetorical, but not. But just, just but just saying like that that's that's what I I think that you know for for white people sometimes we can come to it and, and and realize the timeline that it wasn't that long ago. You know, if we think about it, our grandmas, you know, great grandma, grandma, someone that that she knew in her lifetime as a little girl was was a slave. That that's how you know close, but not that far back. Uh, slavery goes. And I think uh, for a lot of white people, this is another, what I wish they knew, you know, slavery is not a thing anymore. Jim Crow is not a thing anymore. It's so out of sight, out of mind. But, but it's like, no, um, we had some slaves just, just a little over a hundred years ago. They still mm -hmm. existed in some places. Like yeah. it's not, it's not that far removed behind us. And a lot of the issues we face today are still lingering because of systematic slavery programming that you know is is beaten into our DNA almost, and we got to go through you know decades of therapy and family therapy to to kind mm -hmm. of like wash out. Right. But what the problem is that a lot of us don't realize that systemic racism is really just an extension of everything that we've already gone through as far as mm -hmm. slavery. So while mm -hmm. there's no whips and chains as far as physical abuse. Mm -hmm. um, when your mother is passing on a project building apartment 
to you and then you're passing it on to your child. And when you're not able to reap the benefits of your taxes, you're just as much, you're just as held down as a slave would be. If you can't improve yourself while you're not physically being beaten, working at McDonald's only making $5 an hour and going and blowing that money on the project building owned by the government, I mean, you're mm-hmm. slavery. You're 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 enslaved. You know what I mean? And I think so. I'm I'm a Virgo, so I pay very close attention to words. So when you said, um, Tyler, when you were like, slavery is out of sight, out of mind. Immediately, I was like, and then you talk. We talking about systemic racism still in our mental mm-hmm. um, set. Mm-hmm. Is does that mean slavery is not out of mind? Is slavery yeah. maybe? And I don't. I would even. Some people would even argue. And we can get real Dr. Carr, everyone that went to Howard may or may not know Dr. Carr. We can get real Dr. Carr and be like, slavery isn't even out of sight. But mm-hmm. it definitely, I would 100% say that slavery is not out of mind. I think one of the biggest impacts of slavery, what made slavery, I don't think slavery, the physical component of slavery, I don't think that's what made slavery slavery. I don't think that's what had the largest impact. It was the mental um, capt- uh, captivation. It was that mental breaking down and that mental degradation that is something that extends past your body. Like you can, your 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 the whips, the the wounds from the whips, the cut the cuts from the amputation, that stopped. That can't be transferred from person to person. I don't have my great great grandfather's or my great great grandmother's whips on my back. Physically, mentally though, I still have remnants of that mindset still in me. I still have remnants of that. My DNA still, ha- like you, I think Terrell said it, I still have beatings in my DNA. Like that is just sub- still, I believe it's still in my subconscious. And I think, look, to me, I think that will forever get passed down through us because that's an experience that um, has such a large impact on our overall makeup from the mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, our entire makeup. I feel has been impacted by that experience that our ancestors went through. So just thinking of that mindset of slavery is definitely, and that's one thing I look at today is like, it's still in mind and it's still being practiced. The whole project mentality, I feel like that's an aspect of slavery. Like, and then I'll, oh, go go ahead, Lamont. If if I can, like I'm I'm hearing you and what I'm I'm hearing simultaneously, because my wife and I talk about this all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's been proven that the trauma of slavery shows up in our DNA. Mm-hmm. Slavery did not just impact the descendant of enslaved Africans. It also impacted the white people who got to benefit from slavery. So just mm-hmm. like that's something that's with us, the, the benefit of it and the trauma of it uh, are things that reside within them. And I think that that I mean, you you can tell me I'm wrong in this, but I think we've seen that play out in these political elections um, because you can't have a candidate uh, such as uh, President Trump and and not think about how how popular he is in the South, how proud people are to to wave those Confederate flags, how emboldened and emblazoned. Uh, these folks were to come out and riot and rally and say, we're taking this country back, back to where, right? Mm-hmm. They've gone to a place in, in their, in their psyche and their spirit and their DNA uh, and say, that's the, that's the place that we want to return to. And while we have a number of, of 
you know, uh, white Americans who, who don't feel that way, one of the things that I wish they knew is that slavery is not over in the minds of people. And there are people in this country who still who still feel that way. You know, when the Civil War ended, those people didn't they weren't put in jail and and or or, you know, anything like that. You know, they were home. Just, right. They went home. And and they got money to to you know replace their their property, mm-hmm. right? And then they went up and raised kids with the same mentality that they had, and they raised their kids with the same mentality. And now here we are, still dealing with the effects of the, 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 the mind. Slavery still exists in in the minds of both uh, uh, white people and black people, and I think that's that's something that. Uh, white Americans need to come to terms with. So what's the solution as far as black men are concerned with getting over, not getting over, but um, coming from out of that slavery mentality? Well, if I could say um, one situation, number one, the biggest thing that holds us back, in my opinion, it's when we were convalescent to what this modern day racism looks like. Meaning there's a select group of black people that'll just overlook anything that a white person does and blame the black person first. Um, I'll call her out, Candace Owens. You have too many Candace Owens um, in our lifetime. You know what I mean? There's too many people that are willing to really find an excuse for racism. There's too many people love Kanye West there's too many people like Kanye West that are undereducated that have loud voices. So a lot of times, a lot of racism flies by. It slides by and you don't have too many people willing to check it because a lot of people were more focused on getting money or they're more focused on ignoring it or they're more focused on aligning themselves with racism and trying to make a profit from it. Um, it's it's a matter of somebody's got to start stepping up a little bit more. I don't know if we have enough loud voices in the struggle in 2020 um, that'll just flat out call it out. Hmm. And you got to say something and we don't have enough people willing to. No, no, let me take that back because that's that's really under under evaluating people. Um, we don't have enough loud voices in high places willing to say something. Centralized high voices. There you go. Because even after one or two stragglers might say something, then you have somebody calling them out because they didn't call something else out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this conversation with a young lady in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I told her, I was like, look, I love you. Your spirit is strictly into activism. I love you, but you don't know anything about governing. So you get mad at the person that knows about governing because they're not good at being an activist. Instead of saying, yo, I'm an activist. You govern. Let's work it out. Mm-hmm. So there's too many little mini pockets that are kind of breaking each other down. Then you got the person getting money saying, well, I want to focus on getting my money so I can build my own, uh, like Black Wall Street. I don't care about the protester. I don't care about the activists. I don't care about the governor, the governing. So now you got multiple people fractured and now you don't have any unity. So here comes, a, no disrespect, I don't want to say all white person. Here comes the opportunist that comes in. And he finds a way to hop in with maybe the person more concerned with capitalism versus the person that's an activist. Right. And next you know, it's all taken down. And now we're all yelling at each other instead of unifying and confronting the issue. Right. Yeah. I, I think an, an, another uh, uh, 
possible uh, solution. Um, obviously, I think as as uh, Black people, we have to we have to take our destiny in our own hands, and and like Terrell said, really step up to the plate, you know, uh, you know, politically and otherwise, business wise. Uh, but at the same time, uh, one of the things that I wish white people knew is that you know it is okay to be an ally, and mm-hmm. you can you can look at a situation of an oppressed culture in this country and go, I know this is wrong and, and do something about it without necessarily putting yourself at risk. Mm-hmm. So for, for example, you know, I've been, I identify as a male. I've identified as a male. I've been a male my entire life. So my perspective is through a male and it wasn't, it wasn't until I was married and I had to have these conversations that I really recognize um, the fact that I have male privilege. I never thought it. I grew up a black boy in in L.A. living in Compton and Watts. You know what I'm saying? Like nowhere did I think I had privilege. Um, but my wife had to break it down for me and said, if you and I are in a room and somebody's coming for information, they're looking for you first. Right. You know, there are men that won't even won't even speak to her if I'm in the room unless they've you know just because they don't want to, you know, whatever. So I had to learn about my privilege. You know, I had to learn about her pain. Um, mm. And so there are times where I got five boys. Okay. There are no girls in this house other than my wife. And she goes, the new Cinderella movie is out and I, I got nobody to see it with. Nobody wants to go see it with me. And, you know, you're right. I don't want to go see Cinderella. <laughs> and, you know, if we had a girl, maybe I would. But this is one of those moments where I go, wow, I'm not even paying attention. We're going to all these Avenger movies, all these action flicks, because, you know, that's what the boys want to see. But what about her? She's been left out. So I've had to learn to, to watch for things when when uh, uh, black women aren't present, uh, not mm. present in a room, not present in, a, in, in media, uh, not present in voices. Um, I've had to learn that and that's something I'm still working on. Uh, but this is something that, that, um, you know, anybody can be committed to if you see something that, that does not sit well in your spirit, you can learn about, about their oppression. You can learn about the system and then learn to call it out when necessary. Mm. I like that. Learn about your individual privilege. That's deep. That's good. Yeah. That is something I, I feel like we all need to do because, um, the last few years, I, I feel like all the sensitivities around um, microaggressions and privilege um, has helped facilitate really good conversations. Where the same way you talking, you didn't you didn't know you had male privilege. These last two years, that was something I was awakened to as well, and and went through a whole cycle of thoughts, replaying situations, and then from there, able to to move different when I'm in situations with with people, especially with my uh, my my women counterparts. Um, but that becoming aware of our, each of our own individual privileges and, and having those discussions about how that, that plays out. I remember being at Howard and, um, you know, having colorism conversations at Howard, because of course we know that, that, that black is a spectrum and there's no monolith to being black. You know, we're worldwide with all types of languages, sizes, shapes, and colors. And, um, I, I remember talking with some friends in some art history courses and saying, you know, there was one particular student who, who was always loud and opinionated and going over her time speaking and no one would stop her. And it just so happened that, that she was fair skinned. 
Um, but but and, and so they tried to accuse her of a certain type of privilege that sparked one of these sorts of conversations that there was a lot of people engaged that had no idea about that that type of uh, male privilege in a, in, a, in a classroom or um, even the, uh, the 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 male privilege that comes with when a colorism talk, you know, when it's a, a chocolate black man, you know, speaking to a, a fair skinned black woman, mm -hmm. you know, there's all types of dynamics, but I, I feel like offering another solution for, for kind of getting out of that, that, that slavery um, mindset is the fact that since it isn't a physical thing anymore, it, it means it's all within the mind. And right. lately there's been a lot of emphasis on um, meditations, clearing your mind, learning, expanding. And I feel like um, we can't depend on a, on a Harriet savior to, to come and, and rescue the individual. People have to have to wake up to, 2020 and 2021 that there's an abundance of material to help you and there's there's community that's already tapped into the material going through it that knows it that can pull you along with them but um it's a choice in the mind to to pivot and, and turn and, and just go a different direction and i say it simply only because just casually getting online now it's just readily available if you want to go that direction there there's those communities now uh -huh. From understanding your privilege to understanding your mental health and making sure that you're clearing your mind. To me, I look at like those, when I'm hearing this, the first thing that came to my head as far as the solution for black men is we have to understand our power. Yeah. We have to understand the power that we each possess, the voices that we each possess and understand the impact and the reach and the that that, that we are individually able to um, accomplish and able to push forward, right? I don't think necessarily when I'm thinking about like, and how do we move forward? What's step one? Being able to understand your power to me is like being able to understand your privilege, understand what you have influence over, understand that if you look around your room and there is not a, a, a black woman's voice represented, understanding that you have the power and the opportunity to speak up and bring awareness to that, to start to be more inclusive, um, understanding you have the power to clear your mental head and free your mind. They can try to trap your body. They can try and trap our bodies, but they have no control over the, 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 the wings in our mind, over the breadth of where our mind can travel. So understand the power that we have within our grasp and then focusing on that and then moving forward according to that. Yes. I like how, I, th I think Tyler, I think Tyler, you may have said it, somebody else said it, correct me if I'm wrong. The looking for Harriet, looking for someone yeah to come and just grab us like i think it's it's understanding like yo not who who's going to come save me but how how do i save myself wow. like if we collectively start to understand the power that we do have we and we start i think we unify and from a sense of understanding the power that we each possess not unifying, I'm gonna be honest, you're not gonna get every black man to be a Democrat. You're not gonna get every black man to like hip hop music. You're not gonna get every black man to support every social justice issue the same exact way. It's unfortunate, but to me, that's a very utopian way of, way of thinking. However, I feel like if we do collectively understand the power that we have as black men, and then we, we have the power to speak up for what we each believe is right, I think that will start to show some unity across the spectrum one and two start to present ourselves in the world and be taken way more seriously because now it's not just a power that we're waiting for someone else to put a valuation on us we're not waiting for anybody else to put a value on us and tell us what our power is what our value is but if we know collectively 
individually as well, what our power, what our value is. I think that's a great step one for a solution to start to free ourselves from this long, long slavery mindset. Yeah. Instead of going out to sources, realize that we each individually are a source. Right. Conversations like this, like what you're doing, Ganica, like this is this is the conversations that need to be had so we can understand. I know on this call, just hearing these different perspectives from Tyler to Ron Lamont, I've been able to really start to even understand my power a step further. Like, and I'm just, this is a type of energy that needs to circulate throughout the community. So yeah. we start to really build ourselves up as one. Right. Um, I, I agree with you totally. I um, thank you for you, you, you telling us that we need to understand our power as black men. I first and foremost think that that is one major hill that needs to be conquered. Um, for you all as black men. Um, once that understanding comes about, then we can tackle all these little other issues, not little issues, but we can begin to tackle, um, or you all can begin to tackle some other issues in your lives as black men. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think it's we though. I think you had it right the first time. We will, be, we will begin to tackle or we'll be able to tackle the things. Cause I feel like as a black man, we're we're good. Mm -hmm. We're good amongst black men. Right. When you add the black woman into the mix, that's when we become great. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a team effort yeah. <laughs> to, to, to right. us forward. Like I've seen it on many different fronts. So I think yeah. you had it right when you said we will then be able to come and then start to push forward and start to, you know, progress even further. Right. And and to and to that point of just you know uh, a solidarity. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a meeting of, you know, it's not just of, of minds. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's everything, you mm -hmm. know, um, I, I made it a point, uh, to, to try and get four new black products in my home, uh, mm -hmm. for like the, the, the new year, you know, and one of the things that I've, I've learned is, one, it's not as hard as I thought, but two, it's also not as easy as I thought. Yeah. And I've got to, I have to consciously think about it, mm -hmm. right? But um, so black men paying attention to uh, black women's issues, black women playing, paying attention to black men's issues, but, you know, building black businesses, uh, building black banks, uh, building and strengthening communities, uh, building and strengthening the black churches, um, you know, just, just, really uh, uh, putting our efforts into inward mm -hmm. is is what I think, um, you know, we should be doing to build uh, the build the type of, of power that I think we're, we're talking about, which will, will help make change. You know, in, in organizing, we say that power is either organized money or organized people. And as as African-Americans in this country, we've we've had a deficit of organized money because we hadn't been paid for labor and we're still trying to catch up to, you know, everybody else's pay scale um, and break those generational wealth curses. Mm -hmm. um, so I think all of these things are things that, that, that we need to think about. How can, how can we turn internally um, uh, with, with our resources to, to build power? Can I ask a question real quick? Sure. That was an amazing uh, relation that you just said, Lamont. The power is either, organized people or organized money one of the things that i would ask is is that scale balance 
across them? Like is one weighted the same as the other or is there a difference? Is one weighted more than the other? Are I think it, it, the, the philosophy is that, that they, they both are power. Um, which which one is, is more, more powerful? I've got kids. There's nothing I can do. So if you hear that, sorry. Um, in, in, in political science, you know, they talk about hard power versus soft power. I'm sorry, buddy. Go ask your big, ask your big brothers. Okay. Um, in, in political science, we talk about hard power versus soft power, right? Uh, where you, you uh, look at the big stick or uh, uh, your military versus diplomacy. Uh, but with relation to, to, to people and money, you can look at uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and what he might be able to do, uh, Rupert Murdoch, what he might be able to do. But when you look at the civil rights movement uh, and you put you know, people out in the streets and, and how they, they strategically put kids uh, on camera being attacked by, by police officers, you know, and how that influenced other people you know, they were able to do uh, great things with that. So I would, I would, I would venture to say that they're, e they're, they're even, um, except that I think that with people, it takes a lot more to, to, to organize them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyone else with things they wish white people knew? I, 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 I have more because I, you know, I wrote down a, a, a few of them, but um, one of the things I, I had wrote down that was one of the first things I thought about. Well, f well first to preface, I asked I asked a couple of, of, of my of my black friends, my black male friends um, of, of, about the topic um, to get their opinion. And mm -hmm. I asked two friends and, and the response was the same. They kind of chuckled when I asked them and, mm -hmm. and they started thinking as like, I can't really think of anything. And that emotional response is kind of what I wish white people knew. The fact that um, the way things have gone, if you ask a black man a question like that, he's not gonna take it serious at first because in this country, a black man's serious sentiments are usually not taken serious. What I wish white people knew is that black men are in incredibly sensitive, that we are incredibly vulnerable and emotional but we really don't have any spaces where we are allowed to to express it, uh, where we, we can we can get it out healthily. And you know, they have we have this new term microaggressions um, to finally put on what happens to a lot of us in professional and social spaces. You know, mm -hmm. the little things that you know our white counterparts sometimes will do, thinking humorous, coming to us, speaking in ebonics or with some sleep, uh, street terminology. You know, and and we're bothered by it. But, you know, it's it's not like they, they did something super overtly offensive. So we have to let it slide. But it's always little ticky tack things like that that are, are these small repetitive hits in our self-esteem and our ego that kind of uh, weigh us down. I just I, I wish I wish they knew how much black men we, we keep together for the greater good for everybody else around us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that, that actually makes me think of uh, something else, which I think is important. Um, I wish that white people knew that there is a difference between um, having black people in a room to 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 fit your di diversity quota, mm -hmm. uh, what have you, uh, and allowing in black voices. Um, 
I'm pretty sure, especially with black professionals, anybody can recount a time where you said something and it made sense and no, no one acknowledged it. No one mm. uh, took it to heart. And whatever your, your warning was or whatever that thing was, when it comes to pass, you're sitting there going, I, I, I told you this would happen. Right. And, you know, like we're, we're more than just, you know, somebody to, to, to sit down in a room to do this task. You know, we we also have great thinkers. We also have, you know, great minds. We also have great ideas. Uh, we also think about situations. And, you know, the, the benefit is if my background is different from your background, that I'm thinking about this from a different perspective. Right. Uh, I may think about it in a way that you've never thought about. So I wish that white people knew that our voices are just as valuable, if not more, than our presence. Right. I, uh, this is also something that I, I had a conversation with. I wish white people knew you're living a lot of lies that black people are trying to tell you about. And let me get real specific. Your sense of history is not my sense of history. Your mm -hmm. sense of patriotism is not my sense of patriotism. And your knowledge of religion, Christianity, is not my knowledge of Christianity. Mm -hmm. But the problem is white people are willing to look at anything factual and say it's fake news if you're telling it to them. So it's like, I don't know how to word it, but white people, you're living a lie. Mm -hmm. And every other culture in the world is trying to yell it at you. We're trying to paint signs and we're trying to tell you your view of the founding fathers and how you hold them in such mythological, almost like a godlike cult. Mm -hmm. Not what I'm going to have, because my ancestors probably mopped the floor that your ancestors stood on, as they said, all men created equal. You know what I mean? When you try to tell me about your version of blonde Jesus versus my vision of brown skin Jesus, mm -hmm. and I look at who lives in Jerusalem and who grew up in the Middle East, my Jesus wouldn't look like that. So I'm trying to tell you that you're living a lie, but you love the lie so much that I can't say anything to you. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I think uh, that's an excellent point. Um, and I was watching uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah, where he was talking mm -hmm. to Rachel Maddow. Uh, and, you know, the question uh, that he had posed to her is, how is it that so many people can watch something that clearly is not true um, and just just take it for what for what it is? And I think her response and I don't know if this is the the, the right response, but it's the best one that I've heard so far is, you know, it's because um, like one, they're saying that I'm the only one that can give you this information. Everybody else out there is, you know, so there's like this exclusivity factor. But I think in addition to that, um, it's reinforcement information. It's not challenging information. Right. So some of us have the ability to take in new ideas and challenge the old ones and make, make a determination as to whether or not we want to keep the old ideas or we want to take in the new ideas or we have some type of uh, uh, merged 
uh, uh, belief system. Right. Um, these are these are folks who want to be. They want to believe the narrative. They want to believe the narrative that you know America is the greatest country in the world. That you can do anything and everything you want uh, as long as you work hard. Um, and that you know anybody that's not you know white Anglo-Saxon uh, American is other, and therefore their their otherness you know challenges my 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 view of myself. Um, and how how do we get through through that message? I don't know. I think I think possibly going and meeting people where they are, um, and I think that you know that's definitely something I, I'll say I struggle with. I couldn't, I couldn't, I would never go and move to Kentucky to do the work that I do. I would never move to Utah to do the work that I do. Right. I, I don't have it in me for, for that kind of, that kind of fight. Um, but, you know, it's, I think it's, it's wanting to, to perpetuate the, 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 the thought process because anything, anything different to them, you know, feels like I think would uproot their entire belief system. Now, yeah, so I, I think the same the same weapon that was used against the black community is the same weapon, unfortunately, the white people used against themselves. And it was kind of creating a false system of beliefs to, to support the narrative they were trying to create. And, you know, now getting into an age of global connectedness via Internet and social media, we can quickly fact check and do worldwide history to see, oh, that that event that you you, you said went this way. It didn't actually go that way. Oh, that 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 leader that we've been celebrating this holiday about, um, they actually were terrible and they weren't a, a, a real leader. And they're they're coming to terms with the, the truth of their history the same way, you know, we're trying to get over the trauma of our history. And um, it's it's interesting watching it play out because you can only deny the truth for so long and hide from it before it's just right face in front with you and, and you, you you can't run from it anymore. And I think that's what we're getting close to is we're getting close to, um, especially with this this presidency coming to an end, uh, white white people really having to come to terms with the truth of their their total history, not just um, what they've done in brief little isolated moments, but the truth of their total history as as it's never truly changed on on what they do wherever they go. Right. Lamont, you I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, Vernon. Um, Lamont made me remember something. Uh, I think in psychology, they use the term system one and system two thinkers. Um, mm -hmm. System one thinkers, or that's usually your first instinct is, all right, this is what it is. System two thinkers mean that you have to analyze what you're doing. So you made me think about that. A lot of us, specifically racist uh, white culture, focuses mm -hmm. on the system one thinking. Um, you made me remember that. But the second term, and I, the second thing I wanted to talk about that you made me think of, Brother Tyler, once upon a time, I, I dated a white woman before I got married to my beautiful black woman. I dated a white woman. Uh, <laughs> a lot of you are not from Pennsylvania, so you wouldn't understand what it's like in Pennsylvania. On the west side of Pennsylvania is Pittsburgh. It's diverse. There's black people, there's Latinos, there's Native Americans, Indians, everything. On the other side is Philly. You obviously know about Philly. In between that is Mississippi meaning Penn State is plopped right in the middle of what you would think is Mississippi in 1970s. Mm -hmm. It's bad. Uh, the, the white woman that I dated, she was from a hometown outside of Penn State, right in one of them little dirt fields 
of racist land. I met her father and I went into his basement and there's a big Confederate flag right in the middle of the wall. Get out. And, <laughs> yeah, get out. Yeah. And all his boys have Confederate flags. So eventually I got cool. We broke up, obviously, but eventually I got cool with dad. And I said, yo, man, like you're from Pennsylvania. Why do you have a Confederate flag? Well, you know, I'm a rebel. And I'm like, you know, they rebelled against the United States, right? Yeah, but I mean, I'm just a rebel. And I'm like, but that's a symbol of racism, my man. No, it's not. That's not history. History says that it's just for the rebels that left because they believed in states' rights. And I'm like, yeah, the states' right to hold slaves, my man. And no matter how many times I gave them historically accurate information so he could take that down Confederate flag down, he didn't have it in him. And the last straw for me was when I heard him talking to his friends and he was like, yeah, man, we're about to go cooning for cans. I'm like, y'all don't even know y'all racist, my man. Like, But no matter what you say to, no matter what I said to him, he always found a way to deflect it from being racist to finding something else for the reason that he did a naturally racist act. Mm -hmm. Like I struggle with that where it's like after so many times of telling you, yo, you, you're touching fire, you're touching fire, I'm just going to let you burn up. There's such a fear within white people of being outed as a racist, yeah. even if it's accidental. And it's like, if it's not you being intentionally, purposely racist, it's okay. It's a learning moment where it's something you didn't know. And that's why I'm kind of showing you in this situation, don't say this or don't do this. But the way they get defensive, like the, the fear of white people being called racist is like the worst thing but historically that's usually what it is is you being racist and that's why i'm trying to help you of course yeah i, I think that uh tyler to to your point um that um the, i think more than anything else people want to continue the behaviors right yeah. this i have a i have a a, a a symbolic and traditional attachment to this flag and therefore, I want to fly it. And if what you are telling me is true, then I, that means I can't I can't fly it anymore. So, yeah. And if I want to keep doing what I'm doing, then what you're saying can't be true. Um, and you know, I, I, I make this comparison. Uh, um, I made it earlier in terms of male privilege, right? Uh, we are in the age of uh, Me Too, and I know a lot of brothers is like sweating, like. You know, they, they, they don't even want to advance in their careers because they're afraid, you know, some things are going to come out from the past. Right. The reality is, is the way things are going between male and female relations and have been in the past were not uh, uh, beneficial uh, to women. They were beneficial to men. So right. you could you could you could pressure a woman. You could use your job. You could do all these different things that now we know you can't do, you know. There are people now who will continually uh, uh, support the behaviors uh, of, of uh, being a, a male predator. Yeah. Right. For yeah. the sake of being a man. I'm, no, I'm, this is this is how men are. This is an attack on men. Like, yeah. no, you got to sit down and look at what has been happening to women for for centuries, right. um, and and recognize that uh, um, you know they deserve 
uh, a voice and power, especially as it relates to their their own bodies. Um, it's 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 a mindset of of being attached to an idea uh, and and not wanting to change. So uh, to Tyler's point, yeah, people are concerned about being called a racist, but don't want to change their behaviors because they don't want they don't want the tag associated with their behaviors. They want to continue those behaviors. Yeah. Interesting to that that segue, I was talking to a friend about some older films, specifically the original Rocky, and, and, and canon to our conversation, if you go back and you watch the original Rocky, when he has his first date with, with Adrian, um, it's one of the worst things I ever watched because of now through the lens of what we know now. So some people, you can present to them new information that, that should help them inform their thought and change their thought and move differently, but they may, you know, wanna wanna stay stuck where they're at. When you watch Rocky and you see this scene, Rocky, Rocky sexually assaults Adrian and 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 dang near uh it, it becomes rape. But that's not the tone of the scene because it's 1975, you know. The tone of the scene is 1975, it's all cute and it's fine, but he brings her back to this room that looks like it's a, it's it's squalor. There's a ripped up couch. He's stabbing the wall with a knife. She tries to leave, he blocks her exit. He's telling her to sit down on the couch. And um, I feel like that's just, that's that goes that goes with that. There will be people who watch that and they want that still. So they'll find every reason for nothing to be wrong. And then there will be people who say, okay, yeah, that's wrong now. Right. And, and that's just the problem. The people who, who wanna keep status quo, not wanting to change and finding any and every excuse to deny information, to deny scientists, to deny truth, to deny anything, as long as it lets them keep their status quo. And I think also with Terrell, you know, um, speaking to um, his ex-girlfriend's father, I think it was an uncomfortable conversation. A lot of white people don't want to have these conversations. Yeah. So they, you know, shove it under the rug. Mm -hmm. Fred, I know you wanted to say something. Mm -hmm. It was, I was one for a second. I was just listening to all the different perspectives because that was, I, I love the direction that we're going. And it just had me just think like, okay, something that I feel like now just hearing like what I wish white people knew is I just wish white people knew who they were. I wish mm -hmm. white people knew mm. their history. I wish white people knew, you know, what this, what's in their DNA. And then that's what I'm, that's what I gathered from, also gathered from this entire conversation is, cause I went in here thinking like, yo, is this conversation more about, it was hard for me to, to conceptualize, like what do I wish white people knew? Cause my whole mindset is like, I'm really focused on what black men need to do and what we need to be, how we need to be thinking. My mind has never traveled deeply. It's like, okay, what do I wish white people knew? Kind of like how Tyler, uh, the reaction he got from his homies that he, when he asked the question to but now it's like after hearing the perspectives and engaging this conversation, immediately I'm just like, yo, I wish white people knew who they were. Yeah. And I just know knew, know who they are, but I wish they accepted it. And right. instead of trying to fight it, like yeah, Terrell's ex-girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend just got famous on this call. Terrell's ex-girlfriend's father, <laughs> and like, unlike him trying to like block it all, right. I wish they accepted it and been able to, you know, make that make the then make the decision instead of willingly trying to ignore it and be ignorant to it accept right. it and make the decision whether or not they want to change right or they want to be how they want to be who they are right? right i just feel like they, i wish i wish that they knew who they were and that they accepted it and then from there decided they whether they want to go right or left 
instead of stop trying to like stop from going at all. I wish they just made a decision right or left. Yeah, um, I, I think that, that I think that speaks to the minds and hearts of so many so many black people who are like, you know, I think we live in this 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 world where society is constantly trying to tell us that our experience isn't happening. It's, it's not happening to us. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, like there are women who are having experiences and, and, and society is telling them that those experiences are not happening. Like, you know, just say it. If you if you want to be a racist, fine. Just. Yeah, I am. And right. at least I know I'm not crazy. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just just own it. But don't you know, don't try and convince me otherwise when, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you singing darky jokes. Right. Cooning for cans. Right. Yeah. Playing Jay Z uh, songs. <laughs> what's happening? Let me ride in your car playing Jay Z, playing some old Pac, and then going in the oh, street yeah. talking about all the colors. Look, hey man, I, I can't stand when I get in the Uber that's playing some classic jazz, and I'm I'm feeling that jazz. And as soon as I get into the Uber, they want to put it on some some hip hop. Now, I like hip hop, but I like jazz too. Why you got to put it on hip hop? Right. right. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't gonna lie, I'm the, I'm the, I, I may be messing it up for the culture then, because when they turn on the hip hop, I'd be like, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you, man. <laughs> I'd be like, I appreciate that. Hey, look, well, we, we can continue to claim hip hop because historically, historically, we, we made that for a reason. Hip hop, hip hop was birthed out of the, these types of conversations and right. necessity. But I wanted, I wanted to share a story that, I, that just came back to my mind that, that has to do with the, the Confederate flag and um, you know how white people don't see a lot. And to Lamont and Vernon, your points of just how I wish they knew who they were and they, they could mm. with open eyes see, see, see history. When I was about six or seven years old, I was um, walking with my brother and my cousin to go play basketball. And we're all, we're all some little, little mulatto biracial children, you know, and we're walking in this this uh, this East Side Fresno neighborhood that's pretty much 98% Mexican, and we pass a house that the windows are boarded up. You know, it's looking like it's a it's a vacant property. The grass is all dead. It's looking real decrepit. Like some people are sleeping inside. And in front, pulling up real fast in a in a in a four by four Jeep with with no doors and windows, four skinhead white guys, or I should say four white guys who had their head shaven with a big Confederate flag. I had never been formally taught anything about race at this, mm-hmm. by this point. Yeah. But the instinctual fear that I felt seeing this Jeep with no windows, this Confederate flag, and these four white guys with no hair on their head. No one taught me this. Right. But that was the scariest thing to me, my brother and my cousin, and we all immediately felt it. Mm. Immediately. Got to the park, and when we told people about the story, nobody believed this, because this was in an area where that didn't make no sense. Why would four skinheads be on this side of town, in this neighborhood? No one believed the story. Mm. But I could, I could remember every moment of that, because that was one of the first times I was face-to-face with something like that, but it hadn't been taught to me. I just, I knew, I knew it. That's that's one of those subconscious things that just live in our minds. Like, and, and I, wish, I wish white people understood what it's like for a small child to mm-hmm. understand something like that without it being expressly taught to them. Right. And to know that my white counterparts 
there would be no experience anywhere close near that. Mm -hmm. That they wouldn't understand having to walk through a neighborhood with that level of fear in your own neighborhood, just going to play some basketball. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's like that same feeling when you, I mean, for me, whenever I'm driving or doing anything and I see, at least in LA, that mm -hmm. black and white, I see them lights. The lights could be, I, I've had instances where I'm made, like the lights are no, they're nowhere near me. Like the not even if I see them a mile away, my body immediately tenses up. And I'm yeah. Just, it's like, like, it's just, you, you just feel it. And it's like, I have nothing. I shouldn't have anything to, to be worried about. Right. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not doing anything illegal. There's, I'm completely in the, in the right, but it's just that just this, just, just the, the life experiences, things that I've, I've, I've been, I've been taught yeah. watching everything on the news and just, I feel like some of it is just subconscious in the DNA. Right. I don't care if it's a black officer. I don't care if it's a white officer, male, right. female, doesn't matter. If I see that car, if I see that badge, I immediately tense up. And yeah. that's something I like, I catch myself doing it every time. And that's when I just really, that's, those are those, that's like the only moment that I can just consistently feel it. And I just be like, damn, like I'm really black. Like this is crazy. Like I'm really a black man out here. When I feel that every time, like right. just wait, is it that just starts to weigh on me? Right. You know, one of the things that I, I tend to, I've, I've started to do recently, is, uh, you know, I've got I've got white friends on Facebook. Uh, hi, white friends. Uh, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I know that you know they 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 watch the stories and things that I that I post, and mm -hmm. you know now you would think I was an activist. Uh, the things that I post, but there's just so much in, in the news. But personally, I try to share these stories, um, you know, as much as possible. Um, I shared I shared the story of the first the first time I was ever called a nigger by a white person. Mm -hmm. uh, I was four years old. You know, I shared the time first time I ever. Uh, had gotten arrested, wrongfully arrested, uh, or had uh, excuse me, uh, uh, cops draw their guns on me. I was 16, uh, and like these are experiences that I think that folks need to be be clear on. Like this is the type of stuff that we have to do, and it it didn't matter how I dressed, it didn't matter how I spoke, mm -hmm. um, it didn't matter where I was. Um, I've gotten pulled over for nothing. I've, I've been called a nigger. I had a dude call me a nigger through a window because I apparently didn't let him over. You know, mm -hmm. like, I think we have to, we've got to share these stories because people think this is a thing of the past. You right. know, mm -hmm. and, and Vernon, LAPD is, you know, I've had them tail me for miles, mm -hmm. just waiting for me to make make a mistake. You know, that's harassment. Yes. Um, you know, and people people need to be clear that these type of things occur. And I think that we're we're I don't want to say we're in a good place, but I think we're starting to see more of our stories uh, in in the media play out. Right. You know, like when they see us about the Central Park Five. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things people say is, "Oh, well, that happened back then." Well, we literally just had an execution of a young man yeah. uh, who the president refused to stay um his uh his execution right. who didn't even he didn't even kill anybody you know and, and he was a young man so i think the, the the more that we share these stories the more we put these things out there the more we're actually holding up a mirror to right. to ma mainstream and or white america 
Mm-hmm. And that is the purpose of um, having these conversations. Even though sometimes they may get tiresome to you all, um, mm-hmm. I learned on last week's show that it's important to continue to have these conversations because mm-hmm. we don't know that these conversations that we're having today, last week, whenever we had these conversations, these conversations have the power to heal those that come after us. Um, so um, I hate to do this, but it, yes, go ahead, Vernon. On a positive, real quick, on a light note, we talked about hip hop quick, so I got to bring it back. Last yeah. time I was said that I wish white people knew is that they can't stop us and they won't stop us. And yeah. I love everybody that was shared this space with me. I want to make sure. Like on a positive note, they're not going to stop us. And let's keep that in the forefront of our mind. Keep pushing through. Yeah. Yes. Anyone else want to say anything? It's amazing. Brother Lamont. Another thing, man, I was this close to going to Howard. And my mother didn't want me to leave the city of Pittsburgh. My big sister is Howard alumni. Okay. I was this close. Mm-hmm. Coming to Howard, this close. I had the paperwork in and everything. Hey man, there's still time. We got graduate schools. I'm already. I'm about to finish up my grads in like a <laughs> month or two. So I'm I gonna send you some transfer papers. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> you gotta join the Bison family. Yeah, I right. claim y'all. <laughs> yeah. He does, um, gentlemen. Um, thank you so much. That is our time. Um, can you please let listeners know how they can connect with you if they want to connect with you? Uh, we can start with Lamont again. Cool beans. Uh, well, you can check out my website, buyblack.games. Uh, and if you have any questions, feel free to uh, reach me on uh, either social media, Black Game Makers, uh, or you can email me at info at buyblack.games. I don't have anything to plug right now, um, but if you want to interact with me, I'm a little crazier on Twitter, but forgive me. Um, you can catch me at T-E-R-R-E-L-R-E-Y-L-E-O-N. That's El, El Terrell Ray Leon for Lion King. Right. Okay. Okay. Vernon. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at v.g.yancy. Um, you can also check out Sauce. Um, again, self-care essentials for us, sossd.co. And that's our Instagram handle as well as our website. So definitely if you're looking for some stocking stuffers, we got all your natural body care, hair care, beard care that you need. So I, I came up with all my social media handles before I realized it needed to be streamlined because uh, I'm a creative that way. But I'm a, I'm a filmmaker and a musician, and you can find me on my Instagram, um, Malachi the Miracle Child. And you can use the same name to find me on um, any streaming platform for my music. But that's Malachi, M-A-L-A-C-H-I, um, Miracle Child. And uh, yeah. Well, gentlemen, we thank you so much for um, contributing your thoughts and ideas and for doing your part in changing the narrative. And lastly, for keeping your commitment by being part of the show. That means an awful lot. If you've enjoyed the show, please let us know. We would love to shout you out and post your comments. If you or someone you know is changing the narrative, please contact us at ichangethenarrative at gmail.com. We would love to share your story. Meet us here next Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And thank you all for listening.